Hello and welcome once again to Board Chitless. I'm Lecky Williams and I'm joined today by... Sam Lawson. And Tristan. And Dave. Are we just doing first names, are we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. cool for surnames. <laughs> I don't want to get mobbed. <laughs> by fans. Well, it's my I'm, alias. Uh, welcome back to another edition of Board Chitless. You might have noticed that we've got some brand new jingle music last week and this week, and that's thanks to very much to Francesca Hall, the very talented pianist and composer. If you wanted to check out any more of Francesca's work, just check out her Facebook page, that Francesca L. Hall. So search Facebook for Francesca L. Hall to get some more beautiful piano music. She's done a lot of ambient soundtracks to game along to as well, so it'll be pretty cool if you checked it out and liked that page. This week we've been playing Race for the Galaxy and Terraforming Mars, but first we're joined by a very special guest. <laughs> Alright, so this week on Board Chitless we have a special guest interview with Paul Grogan. Now Paul Grogan's been around gaming for a long time, right back to when Games Workshop first started back in the 80s. He's played role-playing games, war games, judged and took part in Magic the Gathering Nationals. He's a regular at many of the big gaming cons around the country and since the late 90s his focus has been on board games, getting more and more into the hobby and ended up doing work on a voluntary basis for a number of different game publishers. All of this leading to him leaving his job in IT management to work for his own company, Gaming Rules, which provides a number of services to board game publishers. He's well known for his rulebook editing work, professional quality how to play videos, and doing official demos of events, games, sorry, uh, <laughs> events around the world. He also often gets mistaken for Brad Pitt, apparently, due to his rugged good looks. Is, is that true, Paul? Well, you did ask me to write my own bio, so, <laughs> you know, I had five minutes free, and I just thought I'd add a couple of lines on there just to, <laughs> just to see. Well, it's great to have you on today, Paul. Uh, thanks for coming. And uh, Thanks for inviting me. No problem. If you don't mind, we'll just get stuck straight into the questions. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, first of all, could you give some background on your gaming interests and what led you to board game design and gaming rules explanations? And uh, what were your reasons for establishing gaming rules? As you mentioned earlier on, I've been into gaming for a very, very long time. So I, I started in the 80s when the only real board games we had were Diplomacy, Civilization, Axes and Allies, all of all of those sorts of things. I've always enjoyed playing board games, but I was I primarily into the other types of gaming until the sort of mid to late 90s, after the Settlers thing happened. Yeah. Board games started to become more popular. I basically fell out of love with the Magic the Gathering side of things, because it was basically taken over my life. And thankfully for me, the, the club that I used to meet at was kind of 50-50. So there was half of the people that attended the club played Magic the Gathering, and I was with them. And then the other half played board games. What I did is I basically moved from one side of the room over to the other side of the room and joined the guys playing the board games. And I don't quite know how things would have worked out if that hadn't have happened. But that opened my eyes to a lot of the, a lot of the board games that were starting to come out you know, at, at that time. So as for gaming rules, what happened is I've always... I, when I grew up, I wanted to be a teacher. My whole plan when I was younger was to do a degree in physics, which I was doing. I was doing a physics degree with a bit of astronomy and maths on the side. And then I would get my teacher training stuff and I would go off and start teaching physics to A-level students. That was my grand plan. I've always liked imparting knowledge 
in, into people. And even from a, you know an early age, I was always the one who taught people how to play games. I was the guy who invited people round, you know, ran the D&D games and everything like that. So I've, I've always been doing it. I think for the last 18 years, at least twice a week, every single week, I have taught somebody how to play a board game. And in some nights, I will teach two or three different games consecutively. It's just, I've just been doing it that long and I enjoy doing it. So when things weren't working out well in my career, in the last permanent job that I had, not working for myself, I came up with this idea and I thought, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a series of videos online teaching people how to play board games. Because a lot of people don't like reading a rule book and a lot of people learn best by watching videos. And then somebody told me, oh, this has already been done. Have you heard of Rodney Smith's Watch It Played? And I was like, no, but let's go and have a look at that. Had a look at that and went, yeah, that's exactly what I thought I would do. Of course, he got <laughs> in there first. And then what I did is I, I decided, right, well, I want to start doing things. I wanted things to look nice and neat because I'm a little bit OCD perfectionist. So I started looking into doing digital effects and I spent months and months, every spare hour I had, learning the basics of the Adobe Creative Suite. And I started learning that, which is why my first few videos were generally digital effects. And then everything is absolutely crystal clear, 1080p and everything else. And I was really happy with that. The downside is I was, I was knocking out one video every three months because they took 100 hours to create. So um, over the last year, I, I've moved away from the digital videos and I'm doing ones with real components with me pointing to things and, and everything else. So um, yeah, so that's, that's how it all started. It, it was me wanting to get out of, of my job. Who, who are your favorite designers? Uh, like what are your favorite types of games that you play? I can say that even though one of them is my boss because he was my favorite designer before I started working for CGE. So uh, Vlad Vatel is my favorite designer for a number of reasons. Not only has he designed two of my top three games of all time, which until recently was my two top games of all time. I also think he is extremely versatile and having worked with him, I've had the, the pleasure and the honor of, of, of working with him and sitting and having conversations with him. He is a genius and I see what goes on in his mind and I, and I see the way that he works things out and he's extremely clever and I have huge respect for, for that as a person. That's very cool. I have to say, I am a, a Vlada fanboy myself. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think you can't yeah. really talk to a gamer without them at some point gushing about Vlada, to be honest with you. I've just got to ask, I yeah. can't let this go. It's one of the top two games. Is one of them Galaxy Truckers? Nope. Damn it. <laughs> My other favourite designer is Stefan Feld, because I love Stefan Feld games. They are, they are just... I don't care that they've got a theme pasted on. I don't, I don't play games for theme. I play games because they're good games and I enjoy playing them. Whereas Vlodja is my favourite designer. Vlodja has done some games that I don't like. Stefan Feld hasn't done a single game that I've played that I don't like. And I've played 90% of his games. And every single one I, I have liked. It's um, all they're, they're for me. Interestingly enough, Stefan Feld is, is Vlodja's favourite designer. Or at least he was the last time I asked him, which was about a year ago. There you go, you heard it yeah. here first. Sorry, Paul, what are your top three favourite games then, would you say? Mage Knight is number one. Yeah. Gloomhaven is number two. Through the Ages is number three. Through the Ages, I must have played over 300 games of on board gaming online. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and you hate it. Game. Through the Ages and Mage Knight, uh, for me, are easily 10 out of 10, both of them. Yeah. I'm not... I've not played enough Gloomhaven yet to judge it, but the, the game that I played of it, I really enjoyed it, and I've gone in full tilt on the uh, the new Kickstarter. But yeah, no arguments here about Vlada.
He's a, he is a genius. Interestingly enough, I came across a board game geek thread back in 2007 or something, where somebody went, oh, who are your favourite designers? This was, you know, way, way, way back when, 10 years ago. And I, I posted on that thread and said, well, most people haven't heard of him, but this guy came out with a game last year called Through the Ages. I said, and, and this year he's come out with Galaxy Trucker. We need to keep an eye on this guy. He's doing really good stuff. And that was, that was way back when. Back when he was trailblazing. Brilliant. I noticed on He your, was, um, yes. I noticed on social media, Paul, that you posted a picture of a couple of games that you had been playing that evening. And one of them was a Vlada prototype. It was in a Codenames mm -hmm. box. Was that a Codenames prototype? Well, there was two. There was Codenames Duet, and there was Vlaja's currently unnamed questions game. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and with regards to Codenames, then, is there anything that you're allowed to say about that? Is it all under um, yeah. lock and key? No, I can say a bit, because we've done interviews at Aircon, and we've done interviews at the Gamma Trade Show last week, so I can, I can say a bit. It's specifically designed for two players. It's fully cooperative, but most of the games that I've run of it have been with more than two players. Okay. That sounds so, interesting. So, although it's specifically designed for two players, it's not only two players. Because you two could play as a team, and I'll play with myself. So we could play three <laughs> players. Now, it, it's, in it's fully cooperative. It's a two-sided grid. So we're all trying to find the agents. You know where some of them are. I know where some of them are. That's the basic principle of it. Now, I, I first heard about this just before I went over to the Czech Republic in March. And I was like, oh, okay, well, it's code names with a bit of a twist. Let's see how it goes. Played one game and went, this is amazing. It's code names, but it takes it to a different a different level. Are, are it's, you it's looking for words uh, that your level. opponent might be obviously avoiding then and trying to pick up on subtle clues like that? Yeah, well, what's interesting is that I know where some of the agents are and you know where some of them are, but actually there's three that are duplicates and you know that going into the game. Every grid, three of them are the same and you use that knowledge to your advantage. So there's lots of little layers to the game that you can sort of unlock while you're playing it and you go, well, hang on a minute. He just gave the clue of kitchen and knife's on the board, but knife is mine. So that means knife must be one of the three. And I already know what the other two duplicates are. Therefore, I can now rule out, you know, and you have all of that, that extra stuff going on. So the version that we had at, at Aircon is not the finished version. So anybody who played it at Aircon, that was a work in progress version of it that was the current iteration and although the basic principle of the game is decided there's lots of extra bits that we're testing and tweaking and, and seeing how it works well we're on the subject of tweaking and designing could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the mage knight expansions krang and shades of tesla i think it was just large didn't want to do it so he <laughs> recommended me i think it was as simple as that um you know whiz kids uh, approached him after after lost legion and said right we want more. And Vlad was like, I've kind of done everything that, that, that he wanted to do with it. And he had loads and loads of other projects on the go. Yeah. So he, he basically said to WizKids, well, why don't you go and speak to Paul? Now, I'd worked with Vlad and WizKids on Mage Knight and Lost Legion. So, you know, I wasn't just some random guy. They, they knew me and I'd done work for them in the past. So they approached me and they said, do you want to do it? And I was like, hell yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. who would turn down an opportunity like that? Um, yeah. So I, mean... I spoke to a friend of mine, Phil Pettifer, uh, and I said, look, I can't do this on my own. Do you want to do this together? Mage Knight is Phil's number one favourite game of all time. He loves the game as well. We pretty much worked on it together, although I've not made any secret of the fact that 80% of the design work was Phil's. I ended up kind of overseeing it, doing the playtest sessions, gathering all the feedback from all the people that were playing it, and coming at it more from a, from a game development point of view. 
So if, if five of the playtesters said to Phil that that, that that skill's overpowered and Phil was like, well, no, it's not, I'm like, okay, well, I've got five people here saying it is <laughs> and they've all played Mage Knight a hundred times each. So I'm sorry, Phil, but we're going to have to drop that three down to a, a two kind of thing. So, so you were the objective that was, voice sort of thing. Yeah, now that, that's not to say that I didn't have some involvement in it, um, but Phil did most of the legwork and came up with most of the of the ideas for the for the skills. In Shades of Tesla, I got I was more involved in that one because I was working on a remit from WizKids of what they wanted in the box and what Phil had come up with, which was the avatars and the way that they work and all the enemy tokens and everything else, which was all very cool. But we needed something else in there. So the faction tokens was my idea, and that took a lot of work as well to get to get that in. So yeah, happy with them, not planning on doing any more. I think I said to them that I, I, I wouldn't want to do any more. I think it shows as well in, in the, the final design, because the Mage Knight, no two games are alike. I've played it literally over 70 times, and uh, it's such a different experience every time. That's one of the... It's funny, isn't it? Because a lot of people say it's repetitive and it's the same thing every time. Well, but they're they're, wrong. They, they say the they're same thing with Gloomhaven. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, for me, every game works out different. But if you're not into the game and you don't like the game and you're not seeing it for the, for the layers that it's got, you will think it's the same. It's like 75% of the scenarios in Gloomhaven, the objective is kill all enemies. We've played 20-odd scenarios now and two of them have been a little similar because they were two parts of a similar quest chain where we were fighting insert name of monster one, two and three, which I won't say for spoilers. Every other one has been completely different. Even if the objective is kill all monsters, the way that the scenario works out, the different types of monsters and everything else and the special scenario rules and the map layout, every game has felt very, very different for us. Ooh, but there are lots of other people who are already saying, I'm, I'm bored of this. This is just a kill all enemies. And every single time we just go in and fight things. They're not, they're, not, they're not seeing it from you know, the angle that, that I'm seeing it. This sounds dangerously like a review, Paul. <laughs> and I, I know you mentioned before that oh, you... <laughs> I, I break, yeah, I break my rules a few times a year, and Gloomhaven is one of the games where I have broken my own rules. Mainly because I, it, I made no secret of how excited I was about this game, and I was a backer about this game before Isaac approached me and, and commissioned me to do the rules videos. I already had my own thoughts on it, I already had my own opinions of it, but then I got the game, we played it, it was better than I expected. Considering how much hype I had built up myself and how excited I was about it, and I've done that before with, with various other things in life, <clears throat> Star Wars Force Awakens, um, <laughs> and, and it turned out, oh, this really wasn't that good, oh no, and because I got super excited about it, I ended up feeling even more disappointed. Gloomhaven, not a chance. We played the first game and I was like, oh my god, this is better than I thought it would be. And I, I don't quite know how that happened. So yes, I, I do break my rules now and again. Fair enough. It's, um, it's amazing what you're saying about Kickstarter, because once you pledge, you really are kind of, you're plugged into the community. How do you yep. feel about that with the development of new games? Do you think Kickstarter's a force for good, or you know, when it comes to developing games like Gloomhaven, really? Without Kickstarter, we wouldn't have Gloomhaven. I, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have happiness in my life if it weren't for Kickstarter. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> But it's not just Gloomhaven. Let, let's look at Stonemaier Games. I don't know if Jamie Stegmaier would have succeeded as well as he did without the Kickstarter start that he had. Zia, Legends of a Drift System. Don't like the game one bit, but 
I respect it for what it is, and I know people that do love the game. Without Kickstarter, that game would have never happened. The guy spent five years designing it in his bedroom. It was his dream. It was his baby. And Kickstarter allowed him to make it, and he did a phenomenal job. The graphics, the game components, everything about the game. It's not my kind of game. I, I thought it was a complete look fest. Without Kickstarter, we wouldn't have individuals being able to pursue their dreams. We've On the had, subject we... of big meter games, I'm just conscious of time, Paul. We've got two more questions for you. The first one's going to be about sure. the game that we're playing this week, which is going to be Terraforming Mars, which I believe you've yep. had a chance to sample yourself. I was just wondering what your thoughts are on Terraforming Mars. So I got a chance to play it at BGGCon last year, and I enjoyed it. There was so much hype about it, and there was so much talk about it that I thought, well, it can't be as good as that, can it? And in fact, there were, there were six of us that wanted to play it, and it's only a five-player game. So I was feeling quite tired. So me and Isaac Childress, designer of Gloomhaven, we played together. And then as I started falling asleep, he basically just took over and carried on. So I kind of played half a game of it. It was fine. Uh, you know, I was, I was kind of expecting it not to be good in a way that I thought, well, everybody's talked about it. Everybody's hyped it. I'm bound to be disappointed. And, and I wasn't. So one of the big, the most talked about things about this game is the drafting of the cards. Right. And so many people I know that have said, do not play the game without drafting the cards, even your first game, because the game is awful if you don't draft the cards. This is what they say. I don't agree. But the fact is, when you're teaching people for the first game and you give them four cards and say, right, you're going to have to draft these, and you're like, well, we haven't got a clue. We, we, we don't know what these cards do. So I'm a big believer that the first game is a learning game. Forget winning, just just everybody play the game, everybody learn how it works, and okay. don't draft the cards in your first game because that that's putting that's making people make decisions when they don't actually know what they're doing. The other thing as well, when we played at BGGCon, Patrick Hillier said we're all gonna start with our production levels on one, which I think might be in the rules as quick start for your first game yeah. to give you all a bit of a boost. And he said, forget the first game stuff. Do this all the time. It just makes the game a lot shorter. Uh, so I, I was like, yeah, sure, go go with that. Good tip. Yeah, now I, as a, I've not played it enough to know whether I would agree with that, but based on Patrick's reasoning, I, I definitely think I would agree with that. By starting everybody on zero, it's going to add a few extra turns to the game or something while everybody boosts their initial thing. Whereas if everybody starts on one, it just kind of gives you a bit of a bit of a head start. But okay. yes, I want to play it again. Definitely, definitely want to play it again, and I would draft the cards next time because, you know, I've, I've played it the once. Sounds, sounds like you need to jump back in that dual encrusted helicopter and come show us how to set it up properly. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be able to teach it. <laughs> no, <laughs> right then, def last, definitely last question not. then, Paul, before we let you get back to your, your life. Could you tell us about your forthcoming projects? Any, any biggies in the line that you're allowed to talk about? The next video is going to be for Yokohama. Uh, and I'm planning on starting that next week. So I've got three videos which I've completed in the last week, and they're all waiting to go live, and they're going to be done. I don't know if you know Tom Heath. He does Slicker Drips. He does playthrough videos. He's based in the UK. He asked me to record a short thing for the start of one of his videos. I don't know when this is coming out. It might be out already. I don't think it is. He would have told me. But there's a little bit of a spoiler at the start of that video of what I'm currently working on that's supposed to be secret but I kind of spoiled it in the video so, so so keep an eye out for that the best place to keep an eye on what I'm doing is uh, well for my videos the YouTube channel which is gaming rules videos so all of the videos that I do will appear on there and there's also my Twitter feed which is at gaming rules vids 
I've got a Gaming Rules Facebook page, but the way that Facebook works, you'll probably never see anything even if you want to. I've got a guild on Board Game Geek as well. So if anybody's on Board Game Geek, guild number is 2258, and I try to post things that I'm doing on there, because the problem with social media is if you're not there looking at the screen in the five minute window that I post it, you'll, you'll miss it. Whereas at least the guild on Board Game Geek, as long as you subscribe to it, then the next time you're on, you'll see that I've got, I've got something to share. But definitely for the videos, the YouTube channel, um, subscribe on there, that's, that's the best way to get them. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Paul. So we've been talking to Paul Grogan of Gaming Rules and thanks very much for your time. Cheers, guys. that's that. So who wants to get started about Race for the Galaxy? Race for the Galaxy, a card game, tableau building game for two to four players. We had four players today and this is one that if we don't play it for a short amount of time we all forget how to play. So um, somebody suggested we get back into it and refresh ourselves because it is an awesome game and it plays so quickly. For a multiplayer game there's very little downtime at all because you're all involved with the choices of which phase to go ahead with in each turn. The theme is cool and the art is good, but it, the theme doesn't really come across in the game. It's totally like, I've got four yellows and I need some browns or whatever, but it is, um, I, I do prefer it that it is galaxy and space conquest themed. I think that's pretty cool. And it always finishes way faster than you expect. You're always just getting your empire started when some git comes along and ends the game before you have the chance to really see it fly. I really enjoy this game. I think we should play it way more often. It's a great introduction to the night because it plays so quickly as well. So you can easily squeeze it in before a good session of, for example, terraforming Mars. Sam, what do you think? <laughs> I love it. I think Race of the Galaxy is a great game. I think it's a mechanically very strong game. Again, the theme does feel a little bit tagged on, but the strength of the game underneath, I think it really holds it together. And as you said, there's no downtime. It's not just that you're taking it in turns, you are taking turns at the same time, depending on which actions you choose, which sometimes can be frustrating and great. And there's so many different ways of actually winning. It does open it up to a lot of different play styles. There's negative downtime really, isn't there? Because I found myself a few times having to shout, hold on, you know, <laughs> let me catch up with what's going on here. I've still got to put down some cards. It, yeah, it can be. Some people do have a tendency to just race ahead. Some people just get frustrated waiting, Dave. That's all that is. Passive aggressive pointing is always a great podcast technique. Well, <laughs> call me an amateur, but I don't know what they're talking about. Okay, let's, let's cut to our, our newbie for the evening, Dave. What do you think of Race for the Galaxy? I think it's been said, really. I think it is a great game. I do feel a little bit like I've seen most of it now. I think I'm ready for some expansions. I tend to sort of go the military route. Tonight I went with the aliens. It didn't quite work, did it? I can't remember. You, I won. you probably won, you normally do. Did I win? Yeah, you did. You did win. <laughs> it worked in the sense that you won the game, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't but it was a terrible strategy. Yeah, because I didn't I didn't have the card that I needed. Luckily you were against three anyway. terrible players, so you sort of won by default. That's why I come. Um, because that's the only place I'm gonna win against you guys. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Dave it's, does always win. It's interesting though that you do say like Dave second guessing his strategy because the rest of us all went to try and you know, for military might and ended up just gobbling up all those cards and leaving the finals really for each forget other. Forget about the Space Marines. You bought the Space Marines, I'm never going to forgive you. You bought them all in the same round. Greedy, greedy Sam. What I really enjoyed about the game is the, I don't know what how you'd call the mechanic really, where you've got your, you've got the cards that you're going to put down into your tableau, but then each player's got your special ability cards with your action cards as well. So you can choose to settle, 
produce, do all those sorts of I'm going to get stuff, I'm going to build stuff actions. You can play them at the same time as someone else plays them on your turn, but then you're lo kind of losing a go by doing that. So if Tristan was to explore and then Sam was to explore and I explore, then that's potentially two extra turns that we've missed out on. And it's trying to second guess what someone else is up to. Are they going to settle? Are they going to explore? And try and maximise the efficiency, but still get your cool extra bonus for doing it. You also, you're conscious of giving somebody else that action. So like there were points where I desperately wanted to produce or trade, but I knew that people with more planets, for example, would get a much bigger benefit from doing that. So I'd be holding back, waiting for somebody else to do the produce or trade action, and they didn't. So I'm scuppered, like waiting. So I do think it's an, like an, an, an agonising decision as to when you have to take those actions because you're lifting everybody else along the way whilst doing it. But like you say, if you all end up exploring, then everyone gets goosed turn after turn. So uh, no, it is it's, it's really interesting. In just choosing that one action that you're going to do each round, it's a real agonising and clever yeah, design decision. It's like the nice side of frustrating as well, isn't it? Because it's like, I always like to refer to it, it's a bit like Resistance Avalon as an angry game. Like you always end, I always end up falling out with usually yourself, yeah. <laughs> myself, then Sam, and it's nice. It just makes you get a bit, a little bit emotional about the proceedings. I think it's a very mechanically sound game, and I think it would fit quite a few themes. But having said that, I do think the theme really comes through. I think the way that they've done it, every card does make thematic sense that I've seen so far. So that, that's counter to what we were saying about the theme yeah. being pasted on you, like do, the space. Yeah, yeah, but I do think mechanically the mechanics could could fit any theme i mean yeah. you could put pirates on it you could put whatever you wanted yeah. mechanically it's that sound of a game but i do think it fits the space like when i'm playing it i feel like i've i'm you know got my own space empire and i'm going out colonizing planets whatever i do wonder at that generally as well when people say a theme is pasted on because you could almost you could almost take any game and put any theme on it yeah but this is the one that they happen to have gone with the artwork really supports it the exploration settling and development of technology and producing and trading, I think all those actions really gel well with that sci-fi empire building theme. And the artwork's amazing as well. I ended up trying to take over a planet for the entire game and failing purely because it looked like Yavin 4 and it was called the Rebel Base. <laughs> it was like, it was far too expensive, but you know, so was. Who were those disco guys that you had, Dave? <laughs> disco guys. Disco guys. There was the planet the of disco, the disco dancing. Yeah. And there's the artistic race as well. I think they're from the expansion, there's Gathering Storm one. But it was just the disco planner. <laughs> a lot of fun to be had with Race of the Galaxy there. Would it be a recommend for everyone around the table? I think I'd definitely best this one out. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's why we're getting it back to the table. Yeah, more, you, need, you need to go and get the expansions immediately. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs>So the second game we played today was Terraforming Mars. Sam brought that along. What's it all about? It's about Terraforming Mars, <laughs> to be very simple. Our work here is done. <laughs> it's a game for one to five players where you each take the role of a different corporation, which creates a sort of asymmetrical gameplay. Each has their own abilities. And the idea is to terraform Mars. You raise the temperature of the planet, you raise the oxygen in the planet, You get water down, you get forest down. And it's all done through quite a clever sort of drafting of technologies, which you have to pay to learn and then you have to pay to deploy. The entire deck is unique cards as well, so it means that you're not getting any repetitiveness, but also you can't rely on the cards coming out, especially with more players, because 
if they've got it, you're not going to get it. You don't know where it's going to come. I think it's fantastic. We've kind of described it as a 3x game because there is no extermination, but you do get the exploration and the other two things. <laughs> explore, expand, exploit. Do you explore? Probably not. You don't really explore no. now. Should we go with mm. one X? Two X's. It's an X. It's definitely not an exploit. exploit. <laughs> it's a very X-y game, should we say? I felt exploited. Cool. I feel like that picks up the definition of 4X and 3X, but when we talk about asymmetry in games, what are we talking about there? The fact that everyone doesn't have the same starting powers, characters, abilities. In this case, it's different corporations with different backing. In this game, my corporation was one based on Earth, therefore any Earth technologies that I encountered were cheaper for me to deploy. Tristan, what was your ability? It was to do with money. So when I, uh, when I got terraforming points, I could spend money to get more terraforming points. I think I used it twice in the whole game. <laughs> oh, That's pretty cool. I was building cities. My money production goes up for every city I build or someone else builds. I was the energy company and I got energy buildings for cheaper. I'm not sure if I'd agree if I'd classify it as asymmetrical, maybe just variable player power, but that's just me. We could argue all night on that, couldn't we really? Let's not. Could do. You are all drawing from the same deck, I suppose, isn't it? You, yeah. you don't have your own deck each. You're doing yeah. the same thing. Mechanics of play are the same. You're not, you, you've not got different things that you're doing. You're kind of doing the same thing. You've I think you're right, powers. but to me it feels more asymmetrical. It mm. feels like my goal and what I was aiming to achieve was differing quite a bit from what you guys were doing. I saw Lucky going for cities and I just didn't think that was obtainable for my, my role. So it, mm. it felt more asymmetrical. You do need to play to your strengths to win, yeah. but I, I guess it's like, you, you, you wouldn't say, say, descent is asymmetrical because one person is trying to do massive amounts of damage, one person's trying to sort of hold enemies' attention, whatever. I know what you mean, yeah. Mm. I agree. It's just a what? feeling. What do we think of the theme? Does it come through in the mechanics? Yes. Yeah. Massively, massively so. With the temperature gauge and the oxygen levels when you put the forests down. Having a massive barren planet with nothing on it that you have to build from the ground up. Blast resources into and onto. It's almost, yeah. a, it's almost a co-op in a way, but not. Because you're, you're, you're all trying to work towards the same goal. Yeah. But yeah. get the most you, points. You can't help but aid your other players, mm. even though you're very much trying to fulfil your own objectives. Mm. Simply by placing lakes or placing forests down someone else is going to profit from that, but you need to do that in order to get your victory points required to win. Mm. So yeah, there's some tough decisions to be made along the way. The game starts off very slowly where you're building your resources, you need to get energy, you need to get your macrobacterial essence <laughs> built up. <laughs> and this takes a long time, the first few rounds, the first few generations as it calls it. You don't really feel like you're actually progressing very much, but then halfway through the game and then later on in the game, there's forests bringing up everywhere, oceans are forming, volcanoes are erupting, and it feels like the planet's being brought to life very slowly and then very quickly, as though you know, an actual terraforming program might. So yeah, that it, I think for me, all the way through the game, it's not just thematic with artwork, it's thematic with the game mechanics and the description, the flavour text, they all come together and I actually can imagine we're actually terraforming Mars. We didn't really see it in this game so much, but I loved the, the card play with each other. Like the first, we've only played it twice, but the first game it was like ants were eating tardigrades and predators were going after house pets. And we didn't really see it this game, but I, I, I sort of loved that dynamic where it is life is introduced to a planet and then it's just eating each other. Impacting on the yeah. ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 
FU cards mm. where it was like my virus destroyed Tristan's plantation Five quite early lives. game. Not going to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's the nature of the beast. But it is also good that the mechanic of how you can only introduce certain cards when the temperature gets to a certain level or yeah. the oxygen level's there to support the life. Mm. So it's not just a mechanical thing that that very is thematic, more than mechanical to me. Yeah, you have to make a big gamble, don't you, quite early on about where you're going to put your resources. So it only costs $3, say, to buy a card, but that card might be cost you 27 to introduce later in the game, but you can only do it once the atmosphere's got to, like, 12% oxygen. So you have to make that decision sometimes in the first round, the second round. It's like, wow, this could be a game changer, but I've got to build an entire machine to make it work in the first place. Am I going to commit to that now? Probably, because it's only worth, you know, free to me. But at the same time, you're then hampered six turns later with this card that you found that is useless because you didn't get any of the cards that you need to make it work. Yeah. Did anyone else find that? I found that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I would say as well, uh, it could be because we've only played it twice, but it's, it's quite difficult to see where people are, like where they're standing, where they're placing, yeah. you know, who's in the lead sort of thing. You get a sense that some people might be in the lead and then the points get counted up at the end and you're like, what? I definitely felt like I was behind trailing the whole game. So to come out with second place, I guess it will come with more play, but I didn't really have a sense that I was in second place, you know, at any point. So it's kind of cool because it does mean that there is a bit of a surprise at the end and you're perhaps always in the game throughout, but there are other games similar to this where you have a more clear sense of what you need to do to leapfrog the person in front of you, as it were. And again, probably because of my own familiarity with all the rules and the permutations, but you're vaguely like, I just need to do more. And uh, it certainly felt to me as well, probably from what my poor play, <laughs> I was only involved in like the first action phase each round and then I was passing, whilst everybody else was still rolling with more turns. Yeah. But that proves out that it's not always just about playing quantity of cards. It's about the the choice of cards that you use in the combos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really interesting because the unique deck, it being completely full of unique cards, means that there are so many different combos that every single time you play it is going to be yeah. you're just finding your feet and working out what's going to work for you in this game. And I, I think that's going to give it a lot of longevity with what comes in the, in the core set. Yeah. I, I would say the hype's pretty justified for me. I, I really enjoyed it. Both times. Because you can only draw four cards around and that's your maximum you're ever going to be able to buy. So I didn't really, not to complain, but I didn't get many of the energy resource cards or the heat resource cards. I was getting mainly economy-based and city-based, even though I had a city buff, which kind of worked out. It made me richer, but I wasn't able to then do what Sam did and just build out loads of heat. Sometimes that just forces you to say, right, this has to be my strategy and I'm going to kind of run with it. And it might not win me the game, but that's the luck of the draw, really. You know, it's everyone's been given the same chance to thrive in a really harsh, barren landscape. It's again, it's the theme coming back to haunt you. I should probably also point out that we are in the habit of playing games we enjoy. So a lot of these, <laughs> a lot of these conversations are gonna be positive because we're rarely gonna get out a game that none of us <laughs> enjoy playing. But also we'll have to try and at some point start rolling in first time games, you know, first time experiences. We played this once before Sam decided to buy it, right? Yeah. And um, so that's, that's the impact that it had. You know, after one play, we were all so we sold on it. We made Sam go We made Sam buy it. Well, that's why we played Scythe when Dave was on holiday, so we could get a nice positive yeah, review I'm out not, on the first I'm podcast. Crazy Dave's, about the Scythe. It's Dave's all right. It's all right. I'd just rather play other things. 
with my limited Thursday nights. I only get 52 a year. So. <laughs> Go on, Dave, then. Give us a 60-second blow-by-blow uh, blow account of why you don't love Scythe in the way that the rest of us do. Oh, well, I don't dislike it. I don't mind playing it. I just feel like I've seen it all now, if you know what I mean. Like, it's, it, the last... I mean, I've only played it, what, three, four times? And it's, it's not surprising now. This was surprising. I'm sure this would lose it eventually as well. Terraforming Mars, I mean. There's no real sort of replayability in Scythe, as far as I can see. It's, it's been very similar every time. I know there's a variable player powers and the way that the boards go together, which does give you sort of a different engine to play with each time, but it's not that different, really. It's still two actions, top and bottom, you know? Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll not give a chance to play because we'll be sold Scythe we'll, we'll be here all around. night. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll just agree that you're wrong and, and move on. <laughs> I, I don't mind playing it, uh, but I would rather play Terraforming Mars. I agree with Dave in this one. Scythe's good. Scythe's a good game. It's good. But if the choice was play Scythe off Terraforming Mars, it's Terraforming Mars. Really? Terraforming Mars is a really good game. And I know we do give quite positive sort of feedback on games here because it's still early days and we're still kind of working our way through Next week we'll play Monopoly. Games I'm not yeah. for uh, hating games two weeks after loving them. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> but post, this, this gave me a sort of like a similar post-game feeling to like Dead of Winter. It's like, yeah, this was great. I've, kind of, I've got a really good idea of how the mechanics work. First game, which never happens. Now and I just want to play it, it again. the second game. I think I can, exactly. <laughs> then we'll play it again in six months. But I think... Oh, second play, I'm going to enjoy this even more. It, there's not many mysteries apart from what's lying in that absolutely massive deck. Yeah. And it's a huge deck of cards as well. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what might come up in my game next time that you just took for granted last I'm time. I'm ready for an expansion strategy. for this. <laughs> Classic Dave. Yeah. Dave wants to spend money. <laughs> Add one play. Stand to spend money. <laughs> I suppose to, to add... A negative onto it. The only thing is, some of the components do feel a little bit flimsy. Oh yeah, yeah. Like what it, very thin boards. cardboard. What it uh, get, the player boards. Yeah. What it gains in theme, it loses in production value. Yeah, and, and it's not that it's going to take anything away from me enjoying the game, but just to add a counterpoint, a pivotal point, the player boards are very flimsy, and it has the same thing when there's a lot of cubes in the game where slight nudge and everything goes flying. Yeah, and these those eclipse style. Uh, yeah, I've, trays. I've, they don't actually come with eclipse, so you should probably just... Well, that's, the, that's my mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There's it it the... needs a, pim a pimping board to uh, keep all the, all the cubes in place. Yeah, I mean, they are, they are out there. Uh, I've just invested in one. But I'm not going to name drop or anything at this time. Yeah, if we could get... Yeah, I'll, about, I'll see what it turns out like first. If we start <laughs> talking about board gaming hobbycraft, then we're going to need a separate podcast. We're going to need a big but, podcast. But yeah, the the, uh, the cubes and everything, they're all of pretty decent quality. It's just the... The play boards. Yeah, the paint's coming off. And the, the box <laughs> itself is a, a little bit weaker than a lot of them we've played with recently, but I'll just be a bit more careful with it. So, Sam, these guys have said it's a better game than Scythe. What do you think? I, I think they can both hold their own against each other. I, I Honestly, I don't think it's better, but I don't think it's worse. I think they're just different yeah. completely. At the minute, I'd rather play Terraforming Mars, but it's a brand new game and I've played it twice now and it's all new and shiny and if everyone else wants to play it I'd rather play something everyone wants to but I would quite happily open sides up again uh, there'd be fractions of points in it if there was any if I had to sort of score it between one and ten not much in between the two still both below Eclipse but <laughs> firmly firmly sat on the fence there <laughs> and how about you Tristan what do you think on this all 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think for me, maybe the theme of Scythe is more appealing and the artwork and presentation. Um, oh, artwork, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Kicks, mm-hmm. kicks yeah. its butt. But um, in terms of gameplay, I don't know, it's hard to say. I, I guess I probably still prefer Scythe just because that's more my wheelhouse, I think, that exploring. That it, it's a three X, and uh, if, we, if we've established that terraforming Mars is a one X, um, I think I'd probably I'd probably like just edge towards size. But I am a component and art whore, and that definitely tempers my opinion of games. You know, if it's a beautiful game, and I do think the art for terraforming Mars is nice on the cover and the cards. It's a little bit. There's one there's one where it's just blatantly just a picture of a worm. <laughs> Which it works for what it is. Out um, <laughs> <laughs> Dave's not a fan of worms. Yeah, not, not, not like worms. But it is like looking through an encyclopedia, which I don't think uh, yeah. necessarily makes it more thematic, whereas Scythe has that gorgeous art by Jacob Wickett. Sort of it I like. Some of it I like because you get the asteroids and the pictures of those. Yeah, the space. The nuclear great. explosions yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then you get the picture of a, a dog. Grade. <laughs> You're like, oh, right. what was the one lucky had with the child workers? Indentured oh. workers. It just shows like you know like five or six children in hard hats, <laughs> and you get to play it for free, but you lose a victory point, you know, because you're a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you. <laughs> oh, totally. It was worth it though. I got three VPs out of the back of that. Not enough to win though. Uh, it's just yeah, I. I really rate it as a game. I think it is very, I mean, it is obviously very, very luck driven. I think if you're going to compare it to Scythe, I mean, Scythe's pretty deterministic. Whereas this, I mean, it's it's, it's a card game. You, it's completely dependent on what cards you're given. I mean, you can obviously make mistakes. But, but it does feel broad enough to be able to do something with those cards, yeah, though. Yeah. Making the most of your tableau. It reminds me, in a way, of Imperial Settlers because the, there's, the, there's the card play. Um, and then there's the combo in the cards, and, and as the game goes on, as you said, it snowballs, and then suddenly Mars is terraformed. Mm. Mm. Love it. Well, there you have it then. Absolutely great night of Race for the Galaxy and Terraforming Mars. Thanks very much for joining us for another episode of Board Chitless. We now have a brand new Facebook group, so all you need to do is go onto Facebook and search for Board Chitless, or check out Twitter. I say that. <laughs> It's my, it's my accent. It's <laughs> We've also been referred to as chitheads in the comments. Should we run with that? I think mean, I mean, we could. I, 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 I'm done with that. Okay. Okay, then. That was your nickname at school, wasn't it? <laughs> That's what my mum used to call me. Board Chitless, now available on Facebook, and search on Twitter or Instagram on hashtag Board Chitless to see what we've been up to through the week between episodes. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again next week for more board game-related nonsense. Thanks very much for joining us, and goodbye.